0: Listening to www.infinite smile.org. Enjoy the Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister.
1: I got to stare at my own attachment to. Uh the holiday season um, over the last couple of days I was in uh, Nordstrom and there was a sign in Nordstrom that said uh, I, I, don't, I can't quote anything because I suck at that but basically it said um, you'll notice that we don't have any Christmas decorations up because for us the Christmas season does not begin until the day after Thanksgiving one holiday at a time, thank you And I remember in that moment kind of feeling, ah,
0: wasn't that cool?
1: And I was, I I then was immediately kind of taken with, does that really matter that much to you? I love the Christmas season. I find it to be, you know, uh, and in our house we mix um, since uh, there's uh, the Catholic influence in our home. There's the Jewish influence on our home and the Buddhist influence, uh, Buddhism, Catholic, Buka Jews. We are Buka Jews, <laughs> and um, and so everything gets celebrated uh, in one way, shape, or form. And our girls, of course, think this is the the coolest deal. You know, the uh, the candles at Hanukkah, the Christmas tree, and um, then the Buddhist teaching of emptiness. They don't get it, but you know. <laughs> <they don't>. um, <laughs> Uh, what we actually all kidding aside what we do teach is that there is a Buddha within an awakening an awakened being within us and on the outside of us and so it's been hilarious in recent weeks um, my eldest daughter at four has been saying things like oh Buddha is very hungry (laughs) it's like what do you mean by that well the Buddha within is very hungry dad can I have can I have some rice cakes or something along those lines it's very precious very cute but watching that you know kind of this idea of the infinite kind of coalesce within a young person's uh, uh, heart and mind is quite a beautiful thing my point in saying all this is that We can tend to cling to versions of celebration that we like or don't like. Instead of letting the big kickoff here that starts Thursday remind us that we have so much to be thankful for, even in our darkness, even when things aren't going according to plan, even when, you know, stuff has really hit the fan, we're here. We are still a celebration of infinite possibility, of infinite potential in every moment. This is our birthright. When we were born, a possibility was born with us, and it continues. The light from that possibility continues to shine until the day we die, and even after, as long as we've touched a few lives. And so to be able to kind of take this week And instead of being co-opted by, um, this is what was going through my heart and mind at least, instead of being co-opted by the uh, wish that Christmas didn't come so quickly, uh, that we could let one holiday go at a time, just the idea that we can, in effect, quite honestly, let every single moment be the celebration of what is always deathless, Of what is always eternal, of what is always sacred, and hopefully this goes past the cliche "treat every day like Christmas Day." I mean, I remember when I heard that as a little kid, I was like, "Yeah, what a crock!" I like the toy day, you know, when those stockings are stuffed, and I get like, especially the maple sugar. That was like to, to this day. That's like my big, big deal, but. It's all good. It's all good. And I wanted to kind of steer our discussion as best we can tonight in the direction of kind of the pinnacle of this this teaching. On the one hand, what we're really doing is we're uncovering we're uncovering this emptiness. That we call it. You may have heard in the Heart Sutra, uh, uh, "Form is form and emptiness is emptiness. Form is emptiness, emptiness is form." Very confusing thing to the mind, and yet what the the instructions here are quite simple. They're actually suggesting that there is form. There are things we can identify. Several things around us: other human beings, the chairs, the rug me this iPod it's kind of on its last legs but still clicking away all this stuff okay and then there's also the birth of all this stuff where does it come from? and and this isn't the chicken and egg conundrum okay this is actually where do things come from? And the teaching points us in the direction of emptiness. Which is a fancy way of saying no-thing-ness. And there's not much to say about that. (laughs) Yet we poke around it. All Dharma goes in that direction. All teaching goes in that direction. It points us towards this huge, infinite, Timeless opening where nothing ever happened and nothing will ever happen. It's just space. Awareness beyond time. Awareness beyond form. Form is born from that awareness. And amazingly, this awareness is the one thing that none of us can escape we're going to sit here tonight in meditation Wait, what the hell is he talking about i got to try to find that awareness the awareness is there <coughs> it's the screen on which everything is projected all we have to do is see through that illusion and our life really begins to shift in some pretty powerful ways We begin to, quite honestly, fear less. Because we realize that what's real can't be taken away. All the things, in other words, can be taken away. But the source of all those things will always remain, forever and ever. It is beyond time, it is beyond mind. It is beyond body. It is beyond our idea of beyond. It is beyond our idea of emptiness. And it's esoteric and kind of trippy as all this sounds. It's really, really where we're going. And it's where we've always been. Life is created from this emptiness. Emptiness bridges itself into form. That bridge we call creativity. And every single one of us, every single one of us has this in spades, this creativity. It shines through us just like emptiness. This isn't to deny that form exists. Every one of us is a representation of form. But it adds to not only our understanding of form, but our recognition as to what form is not. Form is not something that will last forever. Form dies. Form breaks down. And it breaks down by way of a homecoming that homecoming is its own recognition of formlessness the minute form recognizes its source is the minute form becomes enlivened with something of what we might just call a deeper consciousness a deeper awareness and that's all possible for every single one of us So my hope is that each and every single one of you can not only uncover this realization, but can also share it. That every single one of you can really, really recognize all that they have to be thankful for. Recognizing our gratitude actually elevates our experience as human beings. It allows for an ever-deepening generosity. Instead of feeling like we're competitive or divided or possessive, we instead become continual expressions of generosity, of giving. The more thankful we are for what we've received, the more we can give. And in doing that, we are changed by the world and can in turn change it. So tonight as we sit, let yourself go. Get out of the way. Let emptiness fill you. There's an experience I had in um, uh, in the Zendo where I kid you not the, uh, the the power had gone out, and so we normally had these space heaters that were underneath the tons, the big uh, you know the wooden the wooden uh, things that we sat our cushions on. And um, there's a little thermometer by the door. In the in the zendo, and it was one of those mornings when you know um, I woke up and I, I had this nice down sleeping bag and everything in in my little uh, dorm room, um, but I, I was cold, and you know woke up and got got all bundled up and put the long johns on and everything, and we were I, I honestly felt like we were in a meat locker just waking up, you know, it was just that cold, and then we get into the zendo, and through some stroke of uh, divine providence, it was much colder in the Zendo than it was up in the dorm and um, you could we could see our breath and everything, and the little thermometer there by the door, I decided to take a peek at it because I guess I was experiencing somewhat of an attachment. Look it was thirty one degrees in the zendo at five a m first period first period is azen boom, and we were in there for several hours so. <laughs> a meditation on cold, and what is cold? How is this working? What is the being really curious about the fact that I could no longer feel parts of my body? You know, kind of, it was really quite interesting. It ended up becoming kind of a neat experience. But uh, uh, the thing that was interesting is that the. The Eno, you know, the guy who was in charge of the Ze didn't even flinch you know he, he made an announcement like after after we had we had gone through this torturous apologies for the uh, lack of heat we as you know don't have power, so um suck it up and then that was it <laughs> suck it up, thanks, sir. even in that moment um, I can recall this very vividly kind of having a a mantra that I shared with several of you uh, kind of running through my head based on something that my teacher had told me he said we reach a place of equanimity in our practice where there's an imperturbability when we're able to in any situation find gratitude that every moment becomes a thanksgiving. Thanks for the gift and then a giving back, a thanksgiving. That in any situation we can meet our experience with a thank you, I have no complaints. Thank you, I have no complaints. We're schooled to complain. And there's a difference between complaining and whining. It's a fine line, but uh, you know, there's, there's, there is a difference. Okay. The complaint or the wish that something could be a little bit different. If only we could modify the circumstance in such a way, everything would be fine. And most of us recognized at a very early age that that didn't quite work. even at our advanced age when our beautiful new car gets a scratch on it then it's just a car I can recall wanting this toy so desperately and I got the toy and after a while it kind of lost its newness it just became another object another thing didn't mean I wasn't thankful for it as a kid. But even now, the newness of certain things wears off. And if we are addicted to the feeling we get when something is fresh and new, we're perpetually at risk of running after what is fresh and new as opposed to what is. We're looking outside of ourselves. Outside of ourselves for some type of of sustenance for some type of reward this is the way desire works desire is always focused on an external and being able to recognize through a deep and continual experience of internality coming to deeper familiarity with what's going on and the textures within We're able to lose that need for some type of external gratification and find a certain stasis, a certain, if you will, equanimity within that allows for us to meet any situation as a situation rather than a problem. Now, this can be very hard for egos to hear, especially when egos are usually bent on evaluation. They're always looking to make sure that they can see where the problem is, how to fix it, how to adjust it, how to fade or enhance a particular situation. But when we start recognizing that there is no such thing as a problem, there are only situations we're able to meet the world utterly and completely differently and this is such a huge, huge thing (laughs) such a major shift oh, this is a problem well, it's actually a situation well, but it's a really bad situation okay, it's bad because you're saying it's bad but where's the opportunity? If there's an opportunity here, it's not really by de- definition bad, is it? I and mean, we can have this little, you know, ego playing ping pong, intellectual ping pong, all we want. This is a huge situation that we can kind of uh, uh, face. When I when I say huge, I use that term all the time. Apologize for it, but it's a, it's an opportunity for us to really explore. What would happen if you recognized your life was without problems? You merely had situations. Deal with those situations generously, and you benefit the entire cosmos. That's when we start living an awakened life, an enlightened life. To go back to Suzuki Roshi's point there, technically... Uh, no such thing as enlightened people, only enlightened actions. Our life becomes a string of enlightened actions, which pretty much makes us awake. Expressions of awakening continually. Expressions of generosity in all cases. We go from leading circumstantial, circumstantially bound lives to ultimate lives that are continual expressions of that generosity. That desire is something that can be played with as opposed to something that consumes us. We start recognizing limits. Every one of us has different, a different series of limits. Behaviors that are healthy for us and behaviors that are not healthy. This is to say nothing of ethical structures that I think are fairly clear. You know, Do not harm. That's the big one. Okay? So if you can let that ethical structure then guide behaviors, do not harm... I've got several very, very near and dear friends that they really should not take on alcohol, for instance. It does harm to them and to others. So they recognize, okay, well, I'm not going there. That's a beautiful thing. How freeing is that? Busting through an addiction, busting through and seeing beyond an external that will satisfy a fleeting desire. The same thing applies to each of us in every one of our situations, okay? Every one of us has things that we are addicted to. Sometimes we're addicted to how another person makes us feel. And yet when we can see through that addiction, through that desire, we begin to see that the boundary between other and self becomes pretty porous, that satisfaction can indeed be cultivated within and shared in ways that allow for us to simultaneously meet ourselves through others and let others meet themselves through us. And together, we can build lives. We can build a better world. Did any questions arise for anyone that might uh, spawn some intrigue or not? Yeah. the
0: um, teaching that I think is most powerful for for me right now is one that I don't even really fully understand, but maybe you could explain further and I think it's non-duality is mm-hmm. that things aren't like yes, no, you, me is that the same thing as oneness?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so non-duality, I guess the best way I could describe the non-dual is not this and not that. Or neti neti is another way of uh, saying it. Uh, uh, what we're looking at when, when, we're, when we refer to something as non-dual or a non-dual teaching specifically, is a teaching that extends beyond the interplay of up and down, right, wrong, black, white. Okay. So you know the symbol for the 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 Tao, the the, the symbol where there's black uh, and then white, and there's a white dot in the black, uh, almost looks like a drop, a droplet, and a you know what I'm talking about? Everybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the yin-yang symbol. Everybody know? Okay. Non-dual goes past the yin-yang. It's what's on the outside. It's the paper it's drawn on. Does that make sense? So when we start speaking of non-dual teachings, we're talking about teachings that are pointing us beyond self and other, beyond this or that beyond this and that, or self and other, it's beyond. So the language gets pretty funky, okay? But the teaching itself is fairly specific, okay? And that is let go, let go of thought, let go of the feeling that you have, the story you've written about the feeling and the thought that you've got, and what's left, something that is beyond the mind, that is beyond the body, That is beyond indeed the time in which the body and mind unfold. Okay? So, this non dual spaciousness that we kind of keep pointing to, quite simply, is emptiness itself. And it doesn't change, it's beyond what can evolve. The non dual teaching itself evolves, okay? Because different people are talking about it in different ways. But it's pointing at exactly the same, quote, thing. Even though non-duality is not just, it's not a thing. It's a name we give to non-thingness or no-thingness. How's that for Trippy? Are we okay? Did I just sprain print Did anybody just in that moment, uh, you know, my head exploded. Okay? So, yeah, it's not something we grasp with our minds. Indeed, we can't. And the idea is for us to keep trying to grasp it with our minds, and sooner or later we'll get exhausted. And we can't do it anymore. And then guess what we do? We give up trying to... We just give up. And that's when it unfolds. At that surrender. We let go of our striving. We see that it's been with us the whole time. And then it's like... oh. Oh, wow! I wasted all that time. No, you did not waste any time. That time helped get you to where you are now. You couldn't have done it otherwise. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I let go. Let go of that. yeah, okay. <laughs> cool question. Yes. You can't stand it at all?
0: I can't. Um, i got to go deeper on that one. All right. The, uh, <coughs> there is and there is not. Mm-hmm. There can't be an is without the is not. There can't be a
1: non-dual without, without, the... without there being a dual. You're right. So why would you value one more than the other? I certainly wouldn't value one more than the other
0: then why teach one and not the
1: other? Because we're used to the other. We're so ensconced in dualism and duality that to have somebody start talking about the non-dual invariably sounds really trippy and freaky and what the hell are you talking about? But then there's something about it that resonates. There's something about us that knows and recognizes a truth to it even though we can't really put words to it. There's an inkling, an intuition that we feel that guides us towards the non-dual and so uh, uh you know men and women who sit in front of people talking about the non-dual are basically trying to say hey check this out check this out and then once they check it out and they can kind of stabilize it a little bit it's like okay now get your butt home now go back okay you've gone on the journey aha and now you go back and you begin sharing what that new view essentially brought to your awareness. And you can teach it silently, informally, you know, over a card game, or formally and, you know, sit in front of a sangha, a meditation group. So it's not that the non-dual perspective is a better perspective. It's not better. It's just... I hate to use the words, but it's broader. It's deeper. Okay? And from the non-dual perspective, we can see the dualistic life that we're leading, where circumstantial living batters and pushes and pulls us and we crash and everything else. We can also see that from the non-dual perspective, that's serving non-duality. So we can live with the one and the many, all at once. Instead of surfing between two worlds, okay, now I'm in the world, and now I'm out of the world, now I'm in the world, now I'm out of the Instead of going in that direction, we can see that we are all component pieces of it, all at once, all the time. And then we make sure that we spread an equal amount of peanut butter and jelly on the bread. Because if you have peanut butter-dominant sandwiches and if you have jelly dominant they just become too sweet so we live lives of balance deep, deep. <laughs> you feel me there? you get? You got me? you got me on the sandwich? <laughs> I kept looking at your face and I just thought to myself sandwich time <laughs> explain it with the sandwich metaphor no it, but you're, you're hearing me? I mean it, all it is 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 creating uh, creating just that, that balance that's exactly right you just create uh, it, it would be as if we live lives as if we are only hearing or reading one particular view yeah it's like anybody who only reads you know the Wall Street Journal or only watches CBS News or only reads the New York Times or only watches Fox News or on, what kind of depth or breadth are they going to have conversationally and as a soul probably it it will be limited by their inputs and so what we're doing here is we're blowing those doors wide open okay and recognizing that there's far more to see hear touch taste in fact it goes beyond all those senses it goes past the six senses of the body into the sense of the mind into the sense of time into the sense of all things into the core and source of the senses to begin with you know all this stuff begins to kind of unfold and kind of uh, uh, put another way it's grace it shows up as grace then we lead that life if our life isn't really oriented around grace uh, joy and ease then we're trapped in dualism great questions guys great questions got time for one or two more if anybody feels like they want to throw some spaghetti on the wall oh wait a minute did you have your hand up pal we'll go one and two okay yeah well you'll have
0: to tease the question out
1: in the way I can't hear you I'm sorry
0: you'll have to tease, tease the question out of it, mm. but it was kind of serendipitous this morning that in my community meeting where I work came up was the oppression of the, you know, the sit-ins what's
1: The it, Occupy, Occupy, Movement. Occupy,
0: Occupy Movement. thank you. And then I brought up Davis, because I went to Davis, with so the pepper spray situation. And then um, I was working with Kit, and Kit brought that up. Mm-hmm. And I realized this morning that I hadn't really, it hadn't really touched me that much until that happened. Hitting the Cal kids, and I thought, well, that's Cal.
1: Because Cal, we're so damn tough there. It takes a baton to get us to move, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. like I said, yeah. I'm sure you'll tease the question. Yeah, yeah. But,
0: and, and so I thought, yeah, this is not cool. And I'm, I have a lot of friends that are still at Cal now, mm-hmm. uh, and worry about that. But it wasn't the same until I heard the pepper spray, and, and at Davis, because like, we don't do that. And so all of a sudden it hit, and I thought, "Wow!" And then Kit brought it up, Mm -hmm. and I thought I would throw it out there. Why all of a sudden? You know, I guess it finally reached me
1: because it hit home. It it may have reached you because it played into our deeply held tribalism. My tribe. Mm -hmm. My school is my tribe. But my country is also my tribe. My state is my tribe. My hometown is my... Right, we have all these tribes. But one of the things with the incident at UC Davis is that it hit on a tribal level, okay? But it also hit us on a humanitarian level. And it also has the ability to inspire an awakened approach not only to the kids who are getting sprayed. For any of you who've ever been sprayed, it's really... It's not fun, it, it hurts. It really does, and I'll go into my story about when I got sprayed later. But, um, uh, the, but the, uh, of course I got sprayed. Yeah. I, didn't get, I, I didn't get. I didn't get. I didn't get hit with a baton though, and I went to Cal. So maybe maybe I was on the cutting. I was on the leading edge. Of the, had I gone to Stanford, nothing would have happened because they don't do anything anyway. So. They, Oh my god. Did I just say that? It's cuz it's cuz they beat us in football. I tease. Yeah, I, I totally did. Sorry about that. But the the point I'm trying to make here is that the the when we can start to see not only the aspect of us that is moved by watching someone get treated unjustly by an overt use of force okay, or an inappropriate use of force we can see how we can identify with the person that's being oppressed as well as the person that is doing the oppression have you ever been in a situation I ask this to the whole group where you have ever felt because I said so and then in addition to because i said so now i'm going to escalate it to this next level and to this if we ever have that impulse to actually continue pushing for a particular viewpoint strategy way of being if we have that within we have the pepper sprayer within just like we have the student within and until we can start seeing those balanced okay we have no way of going past dualism now I am very much in favor of what this Occupy movement is bringing about in terms of consciousness, I for one don't want to see the entire Occupy movement turn into something about when and where you can put up a tent that I find dilutes the purpose of the whole I'm 99% that's a very powerful message that I think deserves to be heard with, with you know tremendous openness I also think that it's important for us to recognize the one percent. It's important for us to recognize the oppressor. It's important for us to recognize those that we feel or have judged to be abusive of their power or their status. And recognize that that's within us as much as it is something that we may feel jealous about or feel uh, uh, offended by. Doing that allows us to then meet the situation with full consciousness Instead of falling prey to someone else's unconsciousness, we're able to actually carry consciousness into the situation and let it continually be about growth, understanding, and awareness, as opposed to judgment and war. And we can do that with any situation. And meditation helps facilitate that. So thank you for that. And blessings go out to those kids, to the Chancellor... To the cops, to every one of them, may we learn. Yeah. Got one? We can do, we talk about it next week. Thank you so much for being here. Happy Thanksgiving, one and all.